0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman.
1: And Jamie Blonde. And you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Equitable Architecture, we explore the intersection between real estate and architectural design and how visions become reality. Today's guest is award-winning architect Gus Wustemann, the founder of Gus Wustemann Architects and a co founder and curator of Catalan Architects. He frequently lectures within Europe and leads research workshops in the field of space design, architecture, and urbanism. Gus studied at the ETH in Zurich and has lived and worked in Australia, India, England, and in the US. Gus, welcome to the show. Welcome, Gus.
2: Well, thanks so much for inviting me, guys. It's a great pleasure and a great honor to be here. Thank you.
1: So tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Well, as you mentioned, I'm Gus Wüsterman. I'm or- originally Swiss, uh, born in Switzerland, bro- grown up in Switzerland, went to school in Switzerland. Um, and then when I was around uh, 20, I had to see the world, got a bit more direct. In my A-levels, I uh, worked as a postman on construction sites various jobs and went on a a trip around the world and ended up two years later in New York as a photographer assistant and some modeling in between and stuff and had a perfect life really uh, as a young chap 21 years old in the fashion business everything went really well of course uh, a bit of parting involved uh, New York in the eighties was fantastic with all those great nightclubs, Nels and Peggy Sue's and <laughs> MK's. And so there I was, living my life, and suddenly I felt, oh gosh, I, I have, I need to do something. And and nowadays I think back and I think must have been my rather uh, um, my parents uh, calling me. You know, uh, you have to study. If you don't study, if you're not an academic, you're nothing. So I thought, OK, I have to go back. I just went and study to be somebody. And I went back and studied architecture. That was it. No special interest, no knowledge. Just it sounded good. You know, that was it.
0: So by the way, I love the Peggy Sue's reference. Probably one of my favorite clubs from back in the day, um, especially Nell's. And I was so sad to, see, to hear
1: when they when they closed uh, in the uh, in the late '90s, early. What was the club that they changed the theme and the decor in the club every month? That might have been Club USA. I'm I mean, they, sure. they, every time you went every three months, it was a, it was designed differently. It was I mean that was fantastic. There's nothing like the '80s for clubs in New York.
0: No, fantastic. So so, Gus. So I love. I mean, the story went from being an artist to another artist. I mean, you were you were a photographer. You had the eye for um, for design, and then you moved into architecture, which seems probably not that unusual. But tell us when you got started in the business of architecture. Uh, what were some of the early ideas and things that you really wanted to create? and How you, did you approach architecture at that time?
2: Good question. I think, uh, I think somehow I had a feeling that architecture would be something, although not knowing anything about it, but it would be something that has a content where I could work myself up and use my personality, bring myself in, uh, which much later on happens. But uh, it started up very, very schoolish, very, very strict and very school like studying. Uh, the first two years. And then I had a a great moment when I did my first uh, practice in Rudolf Lüscher in Lausanne, uh, uh, an urbanist uh, uh, who has an office in Lausanne. And suddenly he had a total different approach uh, than what I was used to from university, from the ETH. Uh, It was suddenly was about more, yeah, it was more about, you know, not so much looking at architecture as you know wrong or right or have a grammar, you apply the grammar, you learn this, you you, you repeat typologies. Uh, it was more about getting to get into the core. So where where is the point of gravity in things? But you know what is what is there really? That was a really nice approach where I almost relaunched uh, my my point of view of architecture. and how I would uh, grow with it and that helped me a lot. Uh, did then my diploma. And then, of course, you start from zero, like we all did. You come out, uh, you think, you know but you know, you don't know. You just start.
0: And so you're in you're in Zurich and also in Barcelona. I mean, you've obviously worked on projects in various different parts of the world. Um, so, so tell us kind of where you are now geographically. I mean, where in the world are you living? And then where are you working?
2: I am living and working uh, in... Zurich in Switzerland, in Barcelona, Spain, and in Mallorca, Spain. Basically, I, I divide my time in three places, which is uh, for me lucky at the moment. Which is working and living. But it was clear when I when I first finished my studies in, in Zurich, um, you know, in the what was it 1995? I think I worked maybe for the most one year in 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 one or two offices. And then right away, got my first job to, to restore a stable in the Alps, something absolutely, totally underpaid and, and and tiny project. But from then on, I went my own way, basically. opened my office and did a few years between London and Zurich. But I always knew I had to go south, you know, somehow to the Med, uh, living outside, you know, all these Spanish evenings where you can have long dinners, uh, people sit outside, the, the public, space is part of your life whereas in Zurich where I come from you have that in the summertime, which is great right but the city changes you have maybe let's say seven months of rather uh, cold and and rather uh, maybe a bit uh, rough weather that that means you spend a lot of time inside and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an important issue regarding what we talk about today about architecture and new concepts and you actually see that in those northern countries that architecture is very focused on the inside, right? So it's more, you, you live in your, your flat or whatever it is, or house, and you feel those, you're inside those walls, and, and the common parts you don't so much think about. But that's where life can happen, no? If you think of the Mediterranean lifestyle, everybody's outside in the old days, in Barceloneta, people are having lunch and dinner in the street on, on the pavement. That's how you get to know your neighbors. You this, you that, and you need you need less space to live because you have uh, a common space and public space you can use with quality uh, as a resident. And there's a lot of potential
1: for future. So how do you how do you translate that uh, that availability of the public space in a warm climate to the colder climates? Uh, how has that? How has that changed your vision? And how how do you therefore view a project? I mean, whether it's a train station or the homes or the research campus, all these things that you're doing, how, how does what you just said translate into what you're building?
2: Yeah, we can actually. If we talk about little house, for just uh, finished a couple of years ago, and the train station we're, we're about to do, it's with the housing in it. Uh, we have the, the Barcelona typology where the roof terrace is common, it's for everybody. There's no, you know, super rich or the, the most cool apartments on top with the roof terrace, which I find a total contamination uh, of a house, you no, know, because it's a community. And then what well, the people who live at the bottom, they're like, you know, always in the shade. Uh, no, we, we share, we always do that. You say, look, the roof terrace. It's for everybody, okay? So everybody has, has a part of the sun in spring. We do roof gardens. You have your little. You can grow your your, your veg. Uh, you go up. You can chat. You can talk. If you don't like, maybe you don't have to talk. But it's. <laughs> I think, it's, it, yeah, it's a good example, which is rather new uh, in the north. And you need to, to convince uh, the investors every time. And they go like, ah, well, Ruben, you know, and that is what I find hard. That that many people have not seen yet. You know what it's all about. It's not about status. It's not about uh, uh, you know having, or it's about sharing and about social competence. Not to to, I mean, how do we want to live in the future? That's the question.
0: I think you raise a really good point there, and you know, I I look at some of the work that you've done over the past couple of years. I mean, 2020 uh, you, you've you won an award, particularly on affordable housing. 2019, you've won four awards for affordable housing. So in a lot of ways, your approach to community and bringing engaging communities in new and interesting ways are actually happening and are being recognized among the communities. So it's a powerful impact that you're making and you're proving in communities that you serve. So tell us a little about those projects and how it was inspired and what and, and where it's going.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, obviously it was inspired from that I live in various places and that I live in the South and the North. And the most important point I think was the question, how can we provide quality living space for a normal budget, right? And normally, you know, it doesn't matter if it's in New York, in Barcelona, or in Zurich, those social housing, affordable housing, they have a kind of a typical typology. They are exceptional good, good uh, uh, examples as well, but mostly it's a typology of, you look at it, oh yeah, it's affordable housing, and everything is clear, and it has everything, so everybody feels comfortable, right? But we said, no, no, we want to do, we, we keep the budget low, but we want to do something extraordinary and uh, prove that with with less economical uh, resources, uh, we can actually provide quality uh, living space, and that in Zurich, and rent it out cheaply. That's what we did. And that that's as well why it was such a success, and we got so many awards and so on. Um, so, And maybe come back to the architecture of it. How did we do it? Uh, to, to come to two or three uh, points there is, first, we had a total raw aesthetics, right? We said, you know, that we have this concrete construction, which is more like a rough uh, topography, uh, but that's, it comes out, it comes out of the, of the, of the construction site. There's no Tadao Ando, super finished, no, it doesn't matter how uh, rough or bottom, uh, up uh, it is, uh, it's actually wanted. Huh? We want the most simple uh, result out of the construction site so it keeps, so it is uh, not expensive. And of course, you have to know how to apply this aesthetics. And you can't say, oh, well, it looks, oh, it looks. Good. Of course, then everything is rough. So we finish it rough, you have it rough, uh, a bit of wooden doors, no furniture, uh, no, no carpenter furniture. But then again, we invested. A bit in sliding windows, which transform your living space. In the summer, you can open the living space goes from uh, the east to west, from morning sun to evening sun, and you open it all the way that your living room becomes a bridge between uh, the morning and the evening sun. It's like and people go there. They say this is not affordable. It's not possible. I had a year before or last year. I had I don't know 20 or 30 groups of architects, tourists coming from Russia, from, from all over the world, to, to see uh, this project, just that's funny, just because the typology is not what it was supposed to be. And there's so much about prejudice.
1: Interesting, so interesting. Uh,
0: it's, it's amazing that some of your work looks more like a sculpture. Than it than it does like a home or a building and you know there's an artistic um, nuance uh, to the work that you wouldn't necessarily attribute to an affordable housing project right and you'd you'd much more attribute to you know uh, a place where you would live you know or a place where you know, uh, Tom Cruise would live on top of a mountain right I mean it's really taking a high quality uh, and very modern aesthetic, and provide and, and sculpting it into a way into a community that 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 um, provides more accessibility for everyone, both to their the interior and their exterior their exterior space. So it's so you've, you it's pretty impressive how you've been able to achieve that. The work that you've done. Who um, who's funding this? Uh, you know who who pays for these projects? i i, I I've tried shot, <laughs> yeah,
1: talking about how they look, yeah t- okay, let's get to the money as soon as we can, but talk about talk <laughs> about how it looks, it reminds <laughs> me like you you would be the perfect guy to design the villain's <laughs> lair on the top of the mountain and James Bond movie, you could take any, you could just sit it right there, it would look perfect,
2: sure, <laughs> well, of course, there's always a client uh, Alex. of course there is and um but for this example, it was a foundation, and it was an artist. And the good thing, and that's another point I would like to point out here, um, he was somebody had no time, and he said, "Look, it has to be low budget. We give you a fixed budget, and you know you should do housing. I know you guys can do it. Do housing and kind of you know call me when it's finished. But the budget is fixed, so." We had free hand, basically, uh, totally how we would do it. And that's why it worked out no? because there was no, sorry, not neurotic client, but there was no oh yeah, but why you do you really think we can do it? Oh, oh no, but I had home, I had all my walls white and oh maybe, oh, my wooden floors and you know this whole um, you know the prejudice and how everything else is and how everything is. that's a bit of problem that often appears when you have clients, or investors, even in, in bigger projects or public projects, you know they think they have to go along with how it always was, with everything, but like everything's the same. And things have changed. I mean, we live in different times, and and uh, you know the young people have realized it. Our generation, I've, I feel many people have not realized it, uh, and I'm I'm very much prepared to learn and to change and and to be part of that change. And um I think it's super important to have this ethic about what we do, especially in architecture, and have to focus on um, equality, so architecture is possible for everybody and enhancing public space, which is important as. Well.
1: Well, you make uh, you make a really good point, and you clearly what you're doing is visionary and, and hopefully it's catching on around the world. Uh, you work all over the world and you're approaching uh, projects in a unique way a unique vision here in the states i it seems like builders and architects usually work in teams you know if if the builder gets hired he has his architect if the architect get hired, he has his builder you're doing visionary stuff never before done stuff and you're doing it all over the world how do you work with the builders or find the builders who not only are capable of doing what you're what you want but want to do what you want
2: yeah, you have to talk to people. No? And I think the good thing about traveling is you have to adapt yourself. No, You can't just come up with your uh, method, methodology, working with your concepts of how things are done. So, But as, as what we suggest, anywhere is not the normal thing. It's basically, it basically doesn't matter. If I go in Zürich, you're like, oh, no, 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 but you can't do that. Uh, then we go in, in Barcelona, oh, no, 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 you can't do that, or somewhere else. So it's basically the same thing. It's just... Uh, hurdles and and everyone says no but you have to give somehow of course after 20 years 25 years i don't even know you have to develop you develop this this kind of um you know convincing attitude uh and of course you have some some reference that it has been done and that helps no and then you can you bring them on and of course it's all about respect and, and you listen you bring them on we We work very horizontally, you know, we work together with many people, many specialists, the builders build it in the end. We all do this together. Obviously, if there's, you know, the last word, uh, maybe I would have it. But still, it's, it's, you know, it's about uh, communicating and learning from each other.
1: And one of the one of the one of the issues that always comes up here when whenever you talk about somebody, I'm building a house, I'm building a building, the first thing they say is, when is it going to be done? Oh, it's going to be done in March. It's like, well, let's assume June, right? It's going to be longer and over budget. A lot of the things you do can't go over budget, obviously. Uh is it a battle between you and the builder? Is it easy to to be on the same page Mm -hmm. and keep the cost low and get the project in on time?
2: Nothing is easy in order. <laughs> so, uh, Except this podcast.
1: It's, it's so easy to come on this podcast. <laughs> no, it's,
2: it's hard work, but it's I think you know, if you call if you say, say you're a planner, you're planning, I mean, then you should plan, no. So uh a bit what we do in Zurich or the, the the method in Zurich, it's 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 a lot of planning involved. We're like overdocumented, uh but it's very common that you I mean. You know the schedule is right you, you you always end with in the schedule you, you said you would to and the price uh, the same you don't just oh yeah so it's it's we we you know we we accompany the project in a very strict way we're not mean to the builders but restrict right so uh, of course you do all the plans, all the specifications, all those books of uh, houses or buildings is made of and you have a price. And you, you know, you sit down with the builders, look, that's about it. No, they're like, yeah, yeah. And then, and then you look and yes, okay, but look, we have to understand each other that this is the price. And we have to make sure we, we get along because otherwise we all have trouble. And then it's a sustainability effect, of course, works well everybody gets more work and so on but in the south it's different yeah uh it's much much less um you know the, i mean people are not used to deliver uh on the you know if you say oh okay yeah deadline uh, next friday
1: that's because right? they're all busy in eating spain, outside right, on the bus no.
2: in italy we do a project now in italy as well same thing italy or for spain it's like next friday so maybe wednesday the week after It's almost Friday, right? So, uh, yeah, but, you know, and then one week later is still okay. And two weeks later is almost normal. So that is very different and you have to adapt to that.
0: Ironically enough, I mean that's an issue that's universal, right? I mean whether or not you lose, you're in Luzanne or in Long Island. <laughs> you, I mean, you, I mean you, there's that issue of time of over budget um, and and yeah. uh, you know over time. So when you think about the globe, I, you know I I want to go to go to Brazil for a minute, and you know I know Jamie, you know you you were were raised in Brazil, um, Gus. I think we met. In Brazil, I think all of us met in Brazil. <laughs> all that's, of right. Us. that's right. Um, that's right. That's but. But that's a whole different podcast. Uh, but, um, but when I when I look at architecture, and, and I um, one of my favorite architects was is Oscar Niemeyer, and you know he famous Brazilian architect that basically built Brasilia. Um, and had his imp- has his had his impact and imprint on various different cities in in in, uh, in Brazil. One of which was a building called the Copan Building in Sao Paulo. And I remember seeing a, a documentary um, on that called Declarations of Love. I believe a number of years ago about how these communities were, were living and how they 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 um, thrived in an environment of multifamily uh, in in the city. So. The, the, the vision that Oscar had, I, I feel like is very similar and the way that he designed and, thought, and looked at architecture and sculpture and, and concrete, very similar to, what you, to the work that you're doing aesthetically in a way. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. But um, another element of Oscar is that he was sort of not maybe the less well-known fact about him was he was a, a socialist. And you know, so he he believed fundamentally in the connection and in in cooperation of of people and things around them, right? So I, not to get into politics a little bit, but I'd love to first you know tell us a little bit about um, the, your your aesthetic as it relates to Oscar and the things that happened in Brazil, and then also maybe a little bit about this notion of how people can be living together. Um, more effectively uh, through architecture and how they interact with their environment and public spaces through architecture that 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 cities need to be thinking about in the future.
2: Well, of course, I like your comparison uh, to Oscar Niemeyer and, and I totally agree with you. I absolutely love his work. And uh, yes, he was uh, a socialist in, in, in the old uh, kind of way, um, uh, which, I think, anyway, as an architect, you have to be nowadays, you wouldn't say socialist, but you have to be in a socialist in that way because you have to have a common sense of, of, of you know, what, what are we doing here? Um, we have to try to, to, to improve uh, the living together, this planet, this world for everybody. Not if, we, if we miss that goal, um, not just uh, in, in every country, but almost globally. If we miss that goal uh, to achieve more uh, equality and more awareness of, of what is around and how people live, then I think architecture has not done what it should do. And that's actually a good point that you, that you touch on. I think architecture and design have, have a political ethic uh, nowadays, and it goes in, in the same direction. And that's not so much political left or right, because I think that's just boring uh, what, what do we need. We need a pragmatic people um, who, who see what has to be done. And and architecturally, to come back to Oskar Niemeyer, you know, I mean, his, his buildings are absolutely mind-blowingly beautiful, uh, his aesthetics. And there were solid structures as well. Right. And, and so it's almost like you know you can say Brazilian modernism or or, or you know or English brutalism, béton uh, brut. But the, but the or, you know mies van der rohe the 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 of all you no know, the, the god of of, of nothingness. Uh, in the end, if you just have structure, as as Oscar Niemeyer did, and what, what we kind of you know we, we focus on on that topographical um the thing in architecture too uh it's almost clear you know you have a feeling you can feel the mass this this structure or this culture that was built for you to live in you feel the whole structure you feel part of something bigger you know but if you if you have how many uh, things are being built today you've got some facade you know, doesn't matter how many floors and then the inside is somehow you know everything's clotted in uh Everybody has some interior design, and then you have a, 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 a addition of many things, but you lose the feeling for the bigger. I think that that's where the type, this this uh, typology, so to say, or where where the structural architectural clearness um, with that kind of point of gravity helps us as people to feel to have more generosity to be part of something bigger. I think that's so clear with Oscar Niemeyer it's just those simple forms that was it.
1: Well it's amazing he was a, obviously a legend in Brazil yeah. and uh, you know, one of the reasons that Brasilia was built was to try to move people away from the coast and help develop the interior of the country and I don't think it would have Put Brazil on as much of a map if the buildings hadn't been so unique, uh, so gorgeous, and so uh, so incredibly interesting in their in their architecture. Uh, as we look around the world, uh, Gus, as you look around your industry in the future, what do you see as as a, a trend or two that you think is 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 interesting or exciting to you or starting to happen someplace or every place?
2: Well, I think uh, what's interesting to see is um, many many things really, uh, which I'm happy about. And uh, if if we think about the technical innovations, it's certainly sustainable materials, where uh, the use of wood as construction uh, material. And then, of course, what we love, uh, you know, wood and concrete, uh, where the Brazilian. Uh, aesthetics come, comes back in
0: I, I'm wrong enough wood is not really sustainable anymore <laughs> I mean, it seems like it' seems like we're having a wood shortage like,
1: can't, you know, can't can't you regrow it I don't know
2: well China's buying all the wood <laughs> but not, no no nothing think it's journey no but it's well I'm yeah but we we have to think of uh, uh, you know the carbon footprint uh, you know uh, we can replant trees. Of course everything has to be done with, a, with, a, with a, you know, some sense uh, but if you think of, of you know how now it's still the main how it, it's been built it's still just you know uh, what makes most profit okay if we're still on that on that uh, uh, line and that's just um, it is changing. Um, for example in Switzerland, if you do a public uh, competition, you have to has to it has to look like a wooden building, at least 50 percent. of It has to be wood, huh? and if concrete, okay, concrete. There is recycled concrete, but it's, you don't save so much energy. It's 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 a complicated story, but uh, technically there are loads of innovations. Um, socially, as I as I um, public space, uh, like as I mentioned before the many good projects, the super projects, the, uh, one going on in Barcelona. It's called uh, Super Manzanas, where you have to think, you have the, you know, the Chample, this most beautiful urban design done by Serra in the 1850s, the greatest is the Diagonal. And the idea was that you have those blocks where inside it is green, right, those those uh, blocks with the garden itself, residential, then each crossing, those blocks are cut. So you have an octagonal square. You have a square at each crossing, which is fantastic. It's a place where things come together. You have coffees, people talk and chat. You have trees. And then, of course, with, in time, uh, everything was built over the, all the inside of those blocks were full with, with, uh, with buildings and so on. And now it's a super manzanas. Nine blocks are put together no more traffic going through only people who live there only bicycles residents sitting outside children playing football full of green in the middle of the city and that's what i say is we have to do to renew the cities from within take out the cars and you know bring back in the people and the green and you know get get it
0: yeah, it's funny you mentioned. I love that uh, that project, and I think that more cities, uh, you know, will will be better off if they had uh, more integration of green and and sort of public spaces inter- intersected with with uh, with the environment. I mean, you mentioned sustainability. I know that I read an article recently and how um, there's a shortage of sand. Around the world, and, and and you mentioned China, but I think you know to be fair, there's a lot of production and usage of sand that goes into making glass for screens and for you know for phones and like that good stuff. But that's 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 sand that could be that's also being used for building. Right. And in, it's not just pulling sand from the Sahara, it's actually pulling sand from waterbeds and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, you, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an environmental challenge now and getting increasingly so to extract sand for uses of, of building structures. And so I'm sure that's probably what you're dealing with. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm seeing, I'm assuming that's something that you're it's affecting your work and how you're thinking about the future.
2: Absolutely. I mean, that's, it's, it's the, one of the main problems nowadays. And uh, I I can only think of, uh, we can face it and challenge it by, in general, less consumption. Uh, We all have to just go down, you know, and and as all we all know, you know, no meat, uh, industrialized meat production anymore, you know. Uh, But less cars, as I mentioned before, less reduced consumption, and maybe less space for everybody, Better quality. And I think it's the only way because there's only this what we uh, grew up with is uh, capitalistic, you know, more and more and more. It's just not
1: working. I think also one of the, one of the, one of the benefits about what you're saying is also uh, the interaction between people, right? We're, we're in a social media age now where everybody's on their phones. Nobody, you go to a dinner and you see the mother, the father, and the two kids are all on their phones. No one's talking to each other. Maybe that's why the marriage is, maybe that's why the family's holding on together, but... That there's no communication between people anymore in personally on a personal basis, right? Where there's warmth, where there's love, where you listen, you you learn to appreciate other people's opinions, the other side, because it's easy to attack when you're on a phone. But when you're right in front of somebody, you have to, it has has to be more of a dialogue. And I think what you're trying to do with these open spaces, whether it's within the building, whether it's it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, the roof that everybody can use. I think that is not only going to improve the quality of life of the in the quality of living, but it might also improve the quality of life of interactions with other human beings. And I think that's tremendous. And so, so less space, more quality
0: is a point that I think that um, that you made that. That is really, really powerful. In addition to your comment about Mies van der Rohe as being the God of Nothingness, which is, by the way, I want that title. Right? I, think, yeah, that's, like, well, that's I, like I think
1: that's no problem. You can have it, <laughs> Alex Norman, the God of Nothingness. are you, baby. Yeah, all you, buddy. <laughs> well, what do you do? Hey, it's maybe, so I don't want hey, baby, what? this. Maybe I didn't <laughs> think this through all the way.
0: So, so Gus, look, I want to thank you for for taking the time uh, to talk with us. We had a lot of fun, learned a lot about the work that you're doing, love the impact that you're making in the community. I think communities around the world um, can learn from from you, I think um, should give you a call to, get, to help you think through um, their challenges. Uh, and hopefully we can do what we can to help. But I really appreciate your time on the show. Um, thank you, Gus. Thank you, Gus.
1: It's been a pleasure, Gus. Great to see you. Great to hear your thoughts. That's
2: fantastic and great fun.
1: You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co, and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week.